Let's kickstart today by reading from God's word. Reading from Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that, he has, that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. Acts 5, 1 through 9 says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some, some of the money you have received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three years later, or about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Well, dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Father, this is my prayer, is that as I share your word this morning, that these your beloved, that their hearts truly will be open. And my prayer is that these that are here will not necessarily see Jim Lowe speaking, but my prayer is that they will see you speaking through me. And I pray this in your wonderful, wonderful name. Amen. On December 22nd, I posted the following words on Facebook. Some may think that I'm crazy doing this, but every time I run through Modern Park and see the manger scene from a distance, I feel the need to pause, to approach, to come close to the scene, to behold the Christ child. Reflecting on him brings peace and wonderment to my heart. He truly is the Prince of Peace. I need to explain a little bit about the background for this posting. That each year at Modern Park, they put up a display of holiday lights. The lights are turned on the weekend following Thanksgiving. Over 120 individual displays with around 2.5 million lights are set up along the Mississinawa Riverwalk. And the switch to cause the lights to illuminate is turned on each evening until New Year's Day. Well, this year I decided, I decided to plan my running course to pass through the park to be able to bask in the beauty of these lighted displays. As a follow-up of my December 22nd posting on Facebook, on December 25, I wrote these words. 
I told Roxy on Christmas Day I needed to wake up early, go for my run to see the Christ child at Modern Park one more time. And then it dawned on me, after saying this, that it should not just be one more time, but I should be approaching, I should be adoring, I should be admiring the Christ child every day of my life. And then I ended my message with these words, Merry Christmas to all. Now, I realize that Christmas 2014 is now history, but I contend that the spirit of Christmas needs to abide with us all year long. And so for this reason, I really feel no awkwardness in looking at Luke chapter 2 this morning, a passage that is oftentimes used during the days preceding Christmas. I plan to present to you four points I find in these verses. And then I plan to only focus on one of them, focusing on what that passage presents to us in regards to worshiping the Almighty. You see, as I was running one morning and reflecting on Luke chapter 2, the following four points came to my mind. Point number one, the shepherds, they heeded the call. When angels announced in the city of David a Savior had been born, the shepherds, they heeded the call to go see this wonderment with their own eyes. Second point, the shepherds, they hurried to the center. For in great anticipation, with great excitement, they said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. And so the Bible states they hurried off. Why describe them as going to the center? For the reason that I believe that at this point in time, the birth of the Christ child really was the focal point of history. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book years ago that was entitled Christ the Center. I think some of you will appreciate the profoundness of what he shares on Jesus Christ being the center of human existence. He wrote these words. In the fallen world, the center is also the boundary. Man stands between law and fulfillment. He has the law, but he cannot fulfill it. Now Christ stands where man has failed before the law. Christ as the center means that he is the fulfillment of the law. So he is in turn the boundary, the judgment of man, but also the beginning of his new existence, its center. Christ as the center of human existence means that he is the judgment and justification of man. The third point that I noticed in this passage was the shepherds, they came and they honored the child. And it's here that I'm going to be camping for some time this morning. And yet before I do, allow me then to share with you point number four. The shepherds, they heralded the Christ. For in verse 17, we are told that when they had seen the Christ child, they went forth and they spread the news to all that they could about the babe in that manger. But as I shared, it's the third point that I want to focus on. Honoring God through worship. Presenting thoughts regarding Christian worship and how it needs to relate to us as a Christian community. You see, as I was reflecting on this passage, it dawned on me that worship can, can, can and should move us in the following ways. First of all, worship should move us from isolation to incorporation. You see, the picture that you and I often have of the shepherds recorded for us in Luke chapter 2 is that they were all together, bunched together, the night the angels appeared to them. Perhaps we, you and I have this understanding because of the paintings that we've seen depicting this encounter. That artists had to portray the shepherds being intimately close together. I feel due to the limited space that they had on the canvases in which they were allowed to paint on. But in the countries that I have served in, 
Herdsmen and shepherds were oftentimes isolated from other human contact, even from other shepherds. Talking to herdsmen in both Africa as well as in Mongolia, I could sense the loneliness that they felt as they watched over their animals. And so upon seeing the splendor of the lit up heavens and hearing the words of the angels and the isolated shepherds in Luke chapter 2, they got up from where they were, they began to congregate together, and they went forth as a group, as a gang, to behold the Christ child. Well, Ronald Byers in his book, Christian Worship, Glorifying and Enjoying God, wrote, Our society tends to see the world as an enormous cafeteria of choices. There are folks who identify themselves as Christians who consider worship an occasional exercise of which we avail ourselves in times of special need or when the mood strikes us, or who see worship as something offered to those who come primarily just to consume something, for learning, for inspiration, for ethical direction, for an experience. But if one needs none of these things at the moment, they feel that worship, both individually and corporately, is unnecessary. But this is a misconception. You see, by biblical definitions, to be a Christian is by its very nature is to be incorporated within the body of the Jesus Christ. You see, the doctrine of the Trinity shows us that at the very, very heart of God, there is community. A famous icon by the Russian artist Rublev depicts the three persons of the Trinity in intimate communion with one another. Under the guise of the three angels who came and visited Abraham, they sit in a close circle together. Rublev intends for us to see that at the very heart of God, there is relationship. Robert Weber wrote, New Testament worship was not simply a matter of inward attitude or individual expression. It was a corporate experience of the gathered believers celebrating as a covenant people before the Lord. Worship takes place in the assembling together of the community of faith, or practically stated, for Christians, there is no such thing as authentic faith that is limited just to God and me or me and Jesus. Instead, there is a togetherness, a togetherness that is diverse, that is creative, and that is welcoming. I love going to athletic functions. I was never a real athlete when I was growing up, so I was never really part of an athletic team that would do stuff like this. But I love coming even to the athletic you know, things that take place on this campus. I love seeing people get into huddles. You kind of understand. Man, I always kind of wonder when I'm watching a girls' basketball team, it would be neat if they would include me in their huddle. I think it would be kind of neat if the guys would invite me. I would be the shortest guy, but that's all right. I would love to be a part of that. So can I share? This is going to be a little bit hokey for you, but we're going to do it. I'm going to ask that if you wouldn't mind standing up for a second. And then right around you, get into a huddle. Now let me share one of the things I love. Okay, now pay attention. One of the things I love about athletes is this, is that when they get into their huddle, for some reason, there's this funny thing that they do, is that before they get into the huddle, they think that they have to pat each other on their butts. <laughs> you don't need to do that. <laughs> but will you do me a favor? Will you get into a huddle just for a second and allow me to say a prayer? So get into your huddle, and then I'm going to say a prayer thanks.
Okay, dear ones, let me say a prayer. Dear Father, I want to thank you so much for Christian community that we do not need to be isolated, but we can be incorporated into your family. And all God's people said, Amen. Now you got to go back to your seats. The second thing which I notice about worship is this, is that worship should move us from disingenuineness to devotion. I wonder if there were some shepherds who deceived others with their religiosity. The sheep they watched over were being raised to be food. I recognize that. But some were also being raised to be used for religious sacrifices. And so allowing my imagination to work overtime, I wonder if there were some shepherds who acted all spiritual outwardly, but who had hearts that were lukewarm in regards to their love for God. During devotions this week on Tuesday morning, I was reading about Amaziah, one of the kings of Judah. What struck me as I was reading about his life in 2 Chronicles chapter 25 was this. This is what the Bible says. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. You see, down through the years, I have learned that one can do the right things outwardly without having the right attitude inwardly. And thus, when no one was looking, I wonder if some of the shepherds may have taken shortcuts in the way in which they served the Almighty, serving Him only half-heartedly, doing things that made it look as if they were seriously following God, but in fact, were not really following Him with their whole heart, with their whole soul, with their whole mind, with all of their strength. Well, you need to know that what I share next, I share out of concern, but also with deep love for this community and for you, and as a spiritual leader of this university. But it really has been brought to my attention, beginning at the end of last year semester, that a percentage of students had entered into the practice of disingenuineness in regards to chapel attendance. That upon coming into the auditorium, some have swiped in, but then turned around and left without having participated in any part of the worship service. That if you had done this, a few had done this last semester, had argued and shared caustically that they really saw no wrong in doing this. In fact, others had come to chapel, swiped in, and then hurried and rushed into the restrooms as a means of hiding. And I kind of thought to myself, what a stupid place to go hide. Man, the scenery in a bathroom, first of all, is super boring. And I thought to myself, it stinks in those restrooms. Why would you want to go hide there? And so to be very transparent, then, what they would do is after a few moments, when they thought no one was looking, they would then go back to their rooms. And so to be very transparent with you, this really has sat in my heart. But not just my heart, but others in this community, and not just staff members, but also other students who have come and talked to me about that. I am reminded of the story of Ananias and Sapphira as recorded for us in Acts chapter 5. Many of you know the account. Jake Jake read it for us. Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. As husband and wife, they collaborated on a plan to stash some of the money from the sale of their property, keeping that portion for themselves and taking what remained to the apostles. 
They were not going to say that they had given all of the money they had received from the sale, but they would just let people, everyone assume that that's what they were doing. And by doing so, they thought that they could gain the instant acclaim as being spiritual, as being self-sacrificing believers who had surrendered everything to the cause of Jesus Christ. Some may ask the question, so what was so wrong with their plan? They didn't really lie to anyone. They weren't hurting anyone. They just gave the money, said nothing about what percentage of the total sale price it represented. Some accused their, dishon excused their dishonesty by saying that what they did was a private matter, no one else's business but their own. And besides, Ananias and Sapphira, they could not help what other people thought, could they? But you need to listen to the rest of the story. Peter, with miraculous divine discernment, attributed their scheme to Satan and stated that they were lying to the Holy Spirit. He informed them that, that they really were no, under no obligation to sell their property. Peter told them that even after they sold it, they were under no obligation to give the money to the church. But, and you need to listen to this, but they were obligated to be honest. The major sin of Ananias and Sapphira was dishonesty, deceit, hypocrisy, pretense, presenting a false image of themselves, letting people think more highly of them than what they knew was warranted. They were more interested in appearances than in reality. And due to this, Peter comes and states, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. You see, dear ones, true worship occurs when one seeks to live devoted lives on behalf of the one and only King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As I shared, I hated even bringing this issue up. I recognize that this challenge of swipes occurred only among a small percentage of our community. The people-pleasing side of Umfundisi Jim argued that I should not say anything about this, since this could cause some of you to get upset, cause some of you to dislike me. I was a little bit scared even bringing this up, because I thought to myself, what's going to happen is I'm going to start getting some unpleasant emails from some of you. But after much prayer and fasting about this during break, I sensed that God wanted me to deal with this issue but hear what I'm saying in a loving and hopefully grace-offering manner. You need to know that I am believing that out of devoted love for God, this need not be a continuing issue within this body of believers. For I truly believe that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will desire to live lives of integrity. See, you need to understand something, is that the issue is not just about swiping. The issue is talking about a pattern of life, that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to live lives of integrity. Yes, chapel swiping may be a part of it, but it's also about integrity in one's schoolwork, in one's place of employment, in my relationship with other people during times when no one else is around or no one else is looking on. Integrity is the application of character. It is the demonstration of who we are in Jesus Christ, and it shows that our faith truly is real. And so, dear ones, it is essential that we continually pursue integrity and his transforming work to make his name real and shown. Worship should move us from just being religious to having a relationship. 
As already shared, the shepherds were in the religious business of caring for sheep that were to be used in the daily sacrifices. Religiously, they may have been doing the right things, but I wonder how many of them were serving without having a real relationship with God. You see, worship is not just to be a religious, emotionally stirring experience. Musicians, singers, and worship leaders can no more create a worship experience than an evangelist can create a salvation experience. Both worship and salvation are decisions, decisions that only individuals can make. You see, if my worship depends upon others creating an atmosphere, I'm basing my decision to worship upon their actions, not my heart response to God, my relationship with Him. Worship is not a result of how good the music is or whether my favorite songs are being sung or who the speaker is. It is not a consequence of whether I stand or whether I sit down or lift my hands or if I kneel down, but our worship must be an expression of our relationship with the Lord Almighty. Worship should be our relational response to the one who deserves our full attention in praise and adoration. You see, if worship is a decision, then the greatest worship happens when people, when someone who doesn't like the music or even the style of the worship service can still pray words that go like this, not my will, but yours be done, O God, who can continue to pray words like this, though the style is not to my liking, though the music is not what I'm comfortable with, I will and I can still worship you, O Lord Almighty. Worship. It should move us from selfishness to selflessness. In Christian worship, one is pulled in, but we're pulled in to then be sent out. I recognize that we gather in worship to praise and we gather in worship to thank God, to listen to the word of the Almighty, to find strength from Him. But to leave worship stuck at that point would be to truncate its purpose. You see, a danger of worship can be this. The focus being on self and not on the Savior. There is an explosion of worship in Christian communities today. The music, the setting, the lyrics of music are expected to create a fulfilling worship experience. But I am absolutely convinced, and hear what I'm saying, that it is not the worship that God wants us to enjoy. It's Him we are to enjoy. And so the warning is this. Worship is not to be self-centered, but it is meant to be Savior-centered. You see, we lobby for what we want. We don't like the songs. We don't like the volume. In my relationship with my wife, Roxy, I do not approach her and state words like this. Hey, woman, as long as I get everything I want out of this relationship, only then will I commit myself to you. I want you to know if I did that, I would be dead meat. But that's the attitude that so many have towards worship. They whine and they complain and then they make the following demand saying, you musicians, you singers, you speakers, do your tricks according to what I want and then I'll be satisfied and then I'll be happy and then I will worship. You see, that's a selfish focus. In ancient times, the Hebrews understood themselves to be God's chosen people. 
They took this chosenness to be a sign of special privilege, causing the focus to be centered upon themselves, causing them to be self-focused. But dear ones, I contend that God chose Israel not for special privilege, but for special service. In worship as believers, we are reminded that we are to share in Israel's mission to be blessings to all the families of the earth. Worship is not just for us. It is not just about us. But true worship causes us to get the focus off of ourselves onto God and then to be molded in such a way that we become God's servant people. Servant people who will respond to the needs that are around us. See, that's part of the reason why I invited the Bigelows to be with us today. You see, before Christmas arrived, I kept hearing the call for help from the Salvation Army on WBAT, our local radio station, that they were coming along and saying that Grand County needs our help. In my finite, short-sighted thinking, my erroneous assumption was, since Christmas is now over, the needs must have been taken care of. But as Lieutenant Bigelow was sharing, there are still needs that need to be met. You see, dear ones, worship moves us from not only being concerned about our own needs, but also the needs of others. Worship, it should move us from excuses to exaltation. You see, I'm sure that the shepherds on that starry night long ago could have come up with a myriad of excuses as to why they could not go, why they could not go to behold the Christ child and to worship him. The sheep need me. I have so much to do. It's inconvenient for me to go at this time. Well, one of you in this group here came along and sent me a list of excuses that some have given concerning chapel absences. As I read them, I thought, some are funny, but some are plain sad. Let me just give you part of that list. I don't like the music. The music is too slow. The music is too loud. The music is too modern. The music is too old-fashioned. They sing too long. They just get started singing, and then it's over. The chairs are uncomfortable. The chairs are too close together. Well, some of you, that's not a problem when you're sitting with your girlfriend. There's nowhere to sit. I don't like to sit in the front. I don't like to sit in the back. They have too many guest speakers. They don't have enough guest speakers. I'm not being fed in chapel. I'm, it's full of hypocrites. I can stay in my room and watch TV evangelists preach. The speaker spoke, I thought this is funny, against Harry Potter. They have drums in chapel. Someone I don't like goes to chapel. They cater to the younger generation too much. My alarm didn't go off. My roommate did not wake me up to go to chapel. The speaker gave a sermon directed specifically at me. Not a single person spoke to me. Someone was in my seat. I will go when things get right between me and God. You see, dear ones, when a person seeks to excuse him or herself... It is an effort to exonerate or remove oneself from responsibility. It is attempting to justify oneself and exempting oneself from that which he or she has been called to and agreed to. In fact, this is what I've discovered. For most people, if they want to do something, they're going to do it. You see, as an example, with Christmas being over, I had to take down the decorations Taking down the indoor decorations of my house, that really wasn't a problem at all. But then being told I had to take down the decorations outside, well, I didn't want to do that. And so I came up with a bunch of excuses. I can't take them down. It's too cold outside. The temperature was 34. <laughs> it's too dreary and wet outside. It was raining some the day that I had planned to take down the outside decorations. In fact, I wanted to go to Roxy and tell her that we should keep our manger scene up all year long as a way of testifying to our neighbors that we are passionate Christians. 
I mean, the idea of the manger scene being up during spring and summer and fall, it seemed to me to be an innovative way of being a witness for Jesus Christ in our subdivision. But I want you to know that this Wednesday, even though the temperature was only seven degrees out, I found out later the chill factor was negative 17. I still went for my five-mile run. And why? Because I wanted, I wanted to run, and nothing was going to stop me from doing so. And so, dear ones, as human beings, we tend to make excuses for not doing that which we find distasteful in doing that which we want to do. But hear me. I believe that as Christians, we should find delight in exalting our Lord and Savior. And so let me conclude my thoughts this way as Charlie comes on out because he's going to give you some of the application. When we see worship as a means of exalting God, the following can and should take place. That we are moved from isolation to incorporation, from religiosity to a relationship, from disingenuity to devotion, from selfishness to selflessness, from being an ordeal to being an opportunity, from indifference to infatuation, from monotony to miraculous, from duty to delight. I had a chance to uh, read his message this week. And I guess it's kind of hard to give application when you felt like you need to confess a lot. Um, so I had a chance before I came in here to kind of get alone in private and, and go through some of that because I knew what was coming. And I'm sitting down here in the front row and I still feel um, a little bit convicted. Um, I, I couldn't get it together when I was here as a student. Uh, my first three years, I, I just couldn't make it work spiritually. And I'm kind of embarrassed about that. It wasn't until my senior year that finally it, it seemed like it started to make sense. And I guess the problem for me was this, and I wrote this down. Um, I wasn't willing to accept Christ, all of Christ. I was only willing to accept the part of him that worked for me. And I, I didn't understand. It's like if you accept him, if you want to enjoy him, like Dr. Lowe said, you accept all of him, not just a part that works for you, works for me. And it was at that point that the rest of this came clear. Um, I wasn't prepared to be criticized. I wasn't ready to kind of deal with pushback for believing in him, all of him. Um, because when you, when you fully engage in Christ, it's, it's going to be offensive to some. Uh, there's this passage in 2 Corinthians that talks about the aroma of Christ in us. And that aroma is spread everywhere and to so many people it's pleasing. But to others, it's not. I wasn't willing to be criticized or questioned. And what was really weird is I wasn't willing to be criticized or questioned by my friends at IWU. not talking to people outside of campus. And so we come to this place where we hear this. And uh, um, what do we do with all of this? So uh, this is all I put down. Um, if we want to be mastered by Christ in Scripture, we have to fully engage ourselves in a desire to pursue him with all of us, all that we are, all that we have, and all that we hope to be. And the second thing is this.
Um, if we want to see extraordinary acts of God in our lives, extraordinary things happen in our community, then first we must submit to, to the ordinary acts of obedience. That blew my mind thinking that through. I couldn't figure out what to say after I read his message and it kept on going back. And then I saw that quote um, because I was so wanting the extraordinary, the amazing things that God could do because I saw it in other people and I read about it. There were so many rumors of extraordinary. But when you start looking deep into those people's lives, it's the ordinary, everyday act of obedience. And those are the times when you really don't feel like it. You are tired, burnt. Um, so we get to be a part of the ordinary, everyday acts of obedience and submission to him so that he can make himself known as an extraordinary, loving God that cares about people everywhere and has the power to save and draw people to himself. There are two kettles on each side, and it's classic. We all know what to do with these. So as the band begins to play, that's one act of ordinary. Um, I don't carry a lot of money. I mean, no one just swipe my card. So we get it, we know. If you wanna do that, you drop it in. Um, the other thing is this. What happens if, you know, you wanna drop that in, but you wanna make another act of the ordinary? Another act of the ordinary in like a corporate worship setting like this, which we pray to God is that, that the everyday expected thing is that we're just open we're just open to step it up another notch or maybe deal with an issue in our life or a problem. I didn't come back this semester thinking about a couple things and I thought everything would be sweet and this week a couple things just imploded. And uh, um, it causes me to, again, take a minute and do the real ordinary act of obedience and resubmit my life to him. So if you want to drop something off, do that during worship. If you want to stand and raise your hand and just simply express to him, I commit to the ordinary everyday obedient things. They don't get much attention. They get a lot of publicity. There's not a lot of press. But it's the open door. It's the avenue to extraordinary you know that uh, um, there's all, always these altars. It's always open, always. That's the way some people really kind of prefer. They prefer to come forward and just to spend a moment and pray. If you choose to do that, um, there's people that are always willing to pray with you. And you should always feel that freedom. Every chapel, you should feel the freedom to worship and to have people pray over you. That's another way that you can respond in an ordinary fashion. Um, but we all are going to do something. We all will do something. It's just what you individually and I individually choose to do. Let me pray for us. We're going to go into a time of worship.
and you can respond in those fashions as you decide. Father, I ask for your blessing over us. God, and I pray as we dream about the extraordinary, you, it will cause us to act in everyday ordinary acts of obedience. We're daily living in a relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen.